ladies and gentlemen, did you know that the earthworm was the first animal to ever have its genome completely sequenced? So an earthworm has 20,500 genes. A human being has between 20,000 and 25,000 genes. Now, what's remarkable is we have millions of genes within the human microbiome, all the microbes that make up the wild diversity that is you and I. And we are in a place in human history in which we are losing the diversity which exists within the body, whether that's environmental toxicants or stress, lifestyle behaviors. We're going to talk about that on the podcast today with Kiran Krishnan. This is his third visit. He is my gut health guru, a world-renowned microbiologist. We're going to get into the poop. We're going to talk about poop. We're going to talk about looking at what comes out of our body to get an assessment on long-term health, longevity, chronic illness, even cancer. So I'm really excited for you to be here. And every time I talk to Kiran, I'm reminded that if we don't have gut health, if we don't maintain that barrier from mouth to anus, which is the interface between outside world to inside world, we don't have much. And it can be so simple. So I'm so excited to revisit this topic again. I want to remind everybody their probiotics, their gut lining restoration kit are all available at Microbiome Labs. And there is a code, Beautifully Broken, where you can get a discount. So buckle in, cancel your plans, take us for a walk, or just sit on the couch and just digest this information. It's awesome. Let's do it. Welcome to the Beautifully Broken Podcast. I'm your host, Freddie Kimmel, and on this show, we explore the survivor's journey, practitioners making a difference, and the therapeutic treatments and transformational technology that allow the body to heal itself. Witness the inspiration we gain by navigating the human experience with grace, humility, and a healthy dose of mistakes, because part of being human is being beautifully broken. Ladies and gentlemen, biologicalmedicine.org. Don't go there yet. I have a question for you. Are you tired of standing around in this deep knowing that our healthcare system is broken, but we never do anything about it? Well, biological medicine for practitioners is the ultimate hybrid online and in-person certification course designed to help you integrate biological medicine or biomed into your practice. So, Unlike traditional medicine that often focuses on treating symptoms, Biomed treats the whole body, addressing root cause of illness through three pillars, that is detoxification and drainage, nutrition, and immune building. This approach is truly patient-centered and yields exceptional results. So in this comprehensive course, you will apply foundational knowledge and hands-on experience with the latest diagnostic technologies and therapies, including bioelectrical impedance analysis, heart rate variability testing, pulse electromagnetic field. I know this sounds like it was created just for Freddie, but this is your chance to become a pioneer in the field of biomed. This is for healthcare and wellness professionals, all the way from doctors to personal trainers. I want you to go to biologicalmedicine.org and look for the enroll now button. 
And if you use code BEAUTIFULLYBROKEN, you'll receive the intro to biological medicine for free. That's a $200 value. Friends, let's go do this. This is our time to seize the day. Join the biomed and help create a real paradigm shift and the way we deliver results for our patients. Let's do this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Beautifully Broken podcast. Kiran, you are the second person to achieve a three-peat on the show. Welcome again, <laughs> yes. again. Well, thank you so much. It's, it's a, such a pleasure to be here. I remember our first two conversations. They were so awesome. They were so fun. And hopefully we gave a lot of people value from the conversation as well. So it's, uh, it's an honor to be back. Thank you. Thank you. And I was thinking about this this morning, you know, the way we're engaging with each other and building community in a digital space. It's changed even since we did our first show four years ago, how people learn and interact. And I almost find myself intimidated with the new levels of information that I'm almost put into a place of paralysis. Even I would consider myself somewhat of a health expert. And now I feel like sometimes I know nothing. When I go back and look at the opinions and the new evolving data, and it's just, where does someone start? Do you ever find yourself overwhelmed? You know, you can. Yes, absolutely. And I do as well. And I, I'd like to think a pretty strong understanding of how most of the things work within the body itself. But nonetheless, the approach can be extremely confusing, right? What you do first, what do you focus on? You know, what is step one in your health journey? And then what does step five look like? You know, how do you know when you get there? All of these things just kind of mix up in people's heads, especially because they're getting piecemeal information from lots of different places, right? Yes. And lots of people have different focuses and priorities and the people that speak about this stuff have different focuses and priorities as mm -hmm. to what is the most important thing you should do. And everything can't be the most important thing, right? To make any of this practical at all, we have to boil it down to certain things. We have to start somewhere and we have to be happy that we're starting somewhere because I think a lot of what I experience with people when I engage with them and I talk to them is not only a degree of frustration with being confused and not knowing where to start and what to do, but also feeling a little bit, you know, defeated that this is too much. It's too complicated, you know, yes. achieving good health and good quality of life is too complicated and it shouldn't be that way, right? It should be digestible. It should be something that most people can do, especially if they have access to things, you know, like the right foods and supplements and devices and so on. So I'm glad we have this kind of conversation because maybe we can make it practical for people. I would love to do that. And I'm just going to reference that people can go back and listen to our first two episodes and they can really get an understanding of what you do, your education, your credentials, which are incredible. We were mentioning that you basically have the George Clooney status of airline miles because you can go anywhere and just get bumped to first class. Cause you, you mentioned you did three to 400,000 miles a year, speaking, yeah. learning, collaboration, you name it. It's really incredible what you're doing. So I would just yeah. implore people to go back and look at that. And then the idea that you can do that, like you are healthy enough to maintain a robust immune system, to be exposed to all the microbes. So I would love just if you could give us a couple minutes on what you do to keep yeah. your um, microbiome balanced so you have this high level of functionality in your immune system. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a great place to start. So my health goal has always been about being resilient, right? I don't want to be healthy by having to make 100% perfect choices uh, because I know that's not feasible. You know, I know there's going to be 20%, 25% bad choices that I make and many of them deliberately because they're fun, right? I don't, yes. don't want to go out with friends and give the waiter a third degree about everything that's being cooked and touched in the kitchen and what may or may not have gluten in it or not have to have a cocktail with my friends, right? Or, you know, sometimes staying up late and sometimes missing workouts, right? All of these things should be able to happen and your body should be able to be resilient. That's a, a fundamental characteristic of being human to me is being resilient, right? That's why we're at the top of the evolutionary ladder. That's why we're at the top of the food chain because we can exist under lots of different conditions of stress, if our system can adapt to it, right? And as it turns out, when you start looking at the signs, a lot of that adaptation and resilience comes from the microbes that you house in your system, right? We as a species are wholly inadequate to do almost anything, right? We have 22,000 genes in our chromosomes, right? That's nothing. An earthworm has about 22,000 genes, right? So we are in our own genetic capabilities as sophisticated as an earthworm is. But what makes us so interesting and what makes us so complex and gives us all of this amazing capability is the fact that we have over two and a half million microbial genes in our system. That is the largest data bank of capability that we house. And if we house those and we allow those to flourish and exist in our system, that's where we tap into capabilities, resilience, adaptation, and all that. It's the microbes that provide these things for us, right? So for me, when it comes to uh, resilience and foundational health, it's all about maintaining diversity of the gut microbiome. You know, that is one of those key things that everyone can wrap their head around and grasp and work towards that is not that complicated. You know, and if you have a healthy, diverse microbiome, we can explain what a healthy microbiome means. But if you have a diverse microbiome to begin with, you will live longer, right? That's what this research shows. In fact, they can predict the biological age of individuals very closely, very accurately by looking at the diversity of their microbiome, right? So, and that's the key aspect of how centenarians in all these different geographical regions, how they live to 100 plus with very healthy outcomes, all of them have very diverse microbiomes. Now they go about it differently, right? There are some commonalities, but their foods are different, right? What they drink is different. Their environments are different. If you look at Okinawa, Japan, the, it's a very different diet environment and all that than you know the Costa Ricans that, that are centenarians or, or even people in, in the North America that are centenarians. They're very different environments, but all of them, drive diversity in their gut microbiome. So for me, there's a few, uh, a small handful of things that I really hone in on every single day that helps me maintain diversity. That's a key aspect. Great. And is there a, is there a, as far as like a probiotic supplementation, is there a stack that you carry with you and a frequency to which you introduce that into the gut? Yeah, you know, with probiotics, it doesn't have to be too complicated, right? I know it gets very complicated for people because there's so many offerings, there's so many messages out there, there's so many must-haves, and this is the most important, that's the most important. For me, when you look at a probiotic, I really want two things out of it. I want a probiotic that enhances diversity, right? And that has two components to it. 
Component number one is a probiotic that can combat some of the dysfunctional bacteria. Because we know when you have an elevated pathobiome, which means that you have an elevated number of organisms that are opportunistically pathogenic, mm-hmm. that tends to skew your body's ability to adapt to situations. I'll give you a strong example of that in a second. So I want a probiotic that facilitates diversity by competing against uh, pathogenic and problematic organisms. And then I want one that also supports the growth of really important keystone species, right? So if you will, a gut orchestrator, that's a really important foundational probiotic. Now, as it turns out, humans have been consuming this kind of probiotic for millennia, since the dawn of time, inadvertently through the environment, you know, eating, getting exposed to dirt, eating things out of picking and foraging foods, eating, drinking waters out of rivers and streams. There are lots of ubiquitous organisms in the environment that can actually facilitate some of that activity, right? So activity number one, I wanted to maintain diversity. Activity number two, depending on what's going on in my life, I want a probiotic that can modulate inflammation because a lot of chronic low-grade inflammation starts in the gut, right? And that's either through leaky gut or other mechanisms that start in the gut. But at the end of the day, inflammation, for the most part, will start in the gut. You can have localized inflammation in certain parts of the body. You know, you can get contact dermatitis on a part of your skin and have inflammation there. You can have localized inflammation from other sources, but the most dangerous kind of inflammation is the chronic low-grade inflammation that people suffer from, which becomes the foundation of disease. So if you have a probiotic that can address that and can address diversity, that becomes foundational. Everything else is about diet, lifestyle, prebiotics, you know, enzymes, all these other things that you can utilize to facilitate those basic functions. Yeah, beautiful. My friend, Anahita, just got a hold of a product from Microbiome Labs in which she was referencing it has a, a keystone strain mm-hmm. in, included or a heritage strain. Can you remind me what the term was? Yeah, keystone species. Yep. Keystone. And she said, she was like, the directions on the package were to take one a day to start out for a while. And she was like, I'm great. I'm a functional medicine health coach. I could take two. She said, Freddie, I had this crazy cramping for like a couple days. And then two weeks down the road, she was like, all I've wanted to do is take pictures of my poop because they're like mind blowing, perfect S curve into the toilet. And she's been really impressed with the results. And she is self-proclaimed, she was like, I go well normally. I wouldn't have said that was a problem until I noticed the, just the change in frequency and the shape of her bowel movements. Yeah. And that makes all the difference, right? We ignore that quite a bit. We don't look often enough into the toilet as a indicator that something is going wrong in the digestive tract. Now your digestive tract is incredibly resilient to begin with. Even if you start off with an unhealthy microbiome, just think about you know, shows that exist, like what is it called? My 800 pound life or 500 pound life, right? You you think about humans yeah. that have stretched their system to the point that they are six, seven, 800 pounds and they're still alive, right? It speaks to the resilience of the system to begin with. Now, imagine you don't create those stressors. You don't stretch the system that far but yet instead you continue to support some of the key fundamentals of the system, it'll work for you beautifully for a very long time, right? Those kind of examples to me are really critical because it tells you how resilient the system can be, even under that kind of stressful condition. So, but you have to take these little clues, right? You have to look in the toilet. 
you have to look at when you eat something, does that create some sort of disturbance in your gut all the time? And then you go, well, I just can't eat that thing, right? Well, that may not be the answer, right? Or I just, I get five or six sinus infections a year. Let's just, I've always had that, you know? Mm-hmm. Or I just have allergies. I just, I can't touch these seven things. You know, these things that we kind of just blow off, they're all signs and signals that the system is not functioning the way it should. And there are some basic things you should do in order to start adjusting that. Yeah. I go back to the idea that there was usually a time in someone's story when they could do those things, which was always like when I would go into a gastroenterologist or an immunologist and they would tell me, well, this, these things are all problematic. I was like, but two months ago they weren't, it was totally fine. And all of a sudden what happened? They're like, well, that's not today. So we're just going to, we're just going to take these things out. They'll forever be out. They're going to be trigger foods. They're going to make you sick and old and tired, and they're going to make your joints hurt. And so that was something that there was just a low level of awareness or there was no desire to explore what happened in the terrain yep. to make that shift. Kieran, the, the label on the package, it was Megagenesis. Yes, I love that product. Megagenesis, which she said it had industrial spores from the non-industrialized world that supports a primal gut mechanism. So what would be unique in that strain? Yeah, so to clarify, that one's actually not a spore. It's a lactobacilli, actually. You know, so we're a you know microbiome company in general, right? So which means that we have a, a few components to our charter that's really, really important. Number one is, of course, making discoveries around the function of the microbiome, right? So we, to understand the system better and to elevate the overall science. So this is why we do a lot of the studies that we do is we're trying to understand how modulating certain things impacts process, disease process, you know, health process, and so on. The other thing is, of course, then developing tools that you can use to modulate the microbiome and for health benefit. And the last thing is about preserving the microbiome, right? That's a component of what we are starting to do that, to me, is arguably one of the most important things that we we should be focusing on, right? So the kind of things that keep me up at night, I, I tend to sleep pretty well in general, but if I am up night, the kind of things that keep me up at night is the mass extinction that's going on in the gut microbiome, right? It is an absolutely scary thought. I started this conversation by saying that our resilience and our capabilities for the large part comes from the amazing treasure chests of genetic and protein capabilities that our microbiome houses for us, right? Imagine we start losing large components of that biome. We start losing capability and functionality. Right? We will become ill-adapted to exist in the world that we're in right now. But that's happening right now, right? So if you look at hunter-gatherer tribes that exist today in Tanzania, the Hadza tribe or you know, Papua New Guinea tribes and so on, if you look at their alpha diversity, which means the number of viable species in their microbiome, they tend to have alpha diversities at three, four, five hundred active species. We've done over 10,000 microbiome and tests in North America, the average species uh, that we, the average alpha diversity we see is about 125, right? So since we left that lifestyle, we've lost probably two thirds of our microbiome. Wow. And if you think about it and you start thinking about what does that mean from a capability of physiological standpoint, it means you're going to have more people born with developmental disorders. You're going to have more people born with allergies. You're going to have more people that are highly susceptible to anxiety, depression, 
Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, metabolic syndrome, all of the things we suffer from as chronic illnesses, including the now 120 plus autoimmune conditions that we've created, right? And I say we created because about 50 years ago, there was maybe 20 known autoimmune conditions. Now we have over 100, right? We've created new diseases for us to deal with. All of these things, if you look at the research and you look at the pathologies, they can all be traced back to a dysfunctional microbiome. So as we lose these microbes and we don't pass on healthy sets of microbes to our kids, our kids and their generations uh, subsequent to that are going to be born with more and more dysfunctions. The analogy I give so people can wrap their head around it, uh, because it's, it's, it's a little nuanced, it's hard to think about this, right? It's almost like, what if I were to tell you that our actions today, our choices today would lead to our kids being born without a spleen? right? And then their kids being born without a spleen and maybe just one kidney, right? Think about the disadvantage they have from day one, but we're already seeing that, right? Every generation, we have higher numbers of autism. We have higher numbers of developmental disorders, higher numbers of allergies and asthma. All of these things are microbiome related. So this is my long way of answering your question about the megagenesis, right? So the megagenesis, the way this came about is uh, we work a lot with some of the top researchers in the world, right? Partnerships with researchers and research institutes are critically important because it takes companies like us to take what they're doing in that academic world and pull it forward into the real world and actually make it accessible to people through education, products, and so on. So there's a wonderful microbiologist. His name is Jens Walter. He's a researcher and a professor at uh, University College Cork and the APC. APC's in Cork, Ireland, which is one of the largest microbiome research institutes in the world. He's been doing a lot of work with the Papua New Guinea tribes. These are the uh, hunter-gatherer tribes that still live more a hunter-gatherer life than a modern life. He's been sequencing their microbiome for years and trying to understand what is their diversity look like. And his particular focus has been, what are strains that are highly prevalent in that population that are completely absent from us? from the modern population, right? When you look at the phylogenetic tree, what you can tell, because you can do this through a genetic analysis, that we likely had that strain, but through years of you know industrialized living and all that, we've lost it, right? So it becomes one key example of a victim of extinction. And so what he's done is he's found that strain, it's a, it's a form of ruteri that is basically absent 100% in the Western world, and he's cultured it and characterized it. And we started working with him on, on developing the strain, on uh, figuring out what it does, and then trying to reintroduce it into the US population, right? Because it seems to be incredibly important for functionality among our hunter-gatherer ancestors, but we don't have it at all. And then when you add it in, you start to see some massive changes in your gut microbiome. So that will become, that's the first example of lots of different strains that we're going to discover, characterize, study, and develop that we've lost over the course of uh, industrialization that we want to bring back into our gut population, right? That's the most important thing we can do is house and harbor and safeguard this amazing population of microbes that we have to pass down to the next generation. Before we go forward, you had mentioned 22,000 genes in a human being. What was the number that you quoted from our microbial community? How many genes are we looking at? Uh, over two and a half million. Yeah. So 150 times more microbial DNA in our system than human DNA. 
Yeah. I just want everybody to feel into that at home. And every time we talk, I sort of get frustrated. I was like, why am I worrying about all these other things for my health? Why am I not solely focused on the gut? And we understand that we've got to go where our heart leads us to go. And it always swings back around. It's just one of the most paramount things we can do to be managing this intelligent immune system. And you've said before on the podcast from mouth to anus is really outside world. Yeah. It's our way of interacting energetically with the, all the information that comes through. And I have a very limited 22,000 genes. And then we have this millions and millions of downstream chemical reaction, which are giving the cells information. Team, thank you for being you. Thanks for taking a break from this episode, which is amazing. I need to give a shout out to everybody who continues to listen and support. We have been working so hard to bring you products that really work, like Silver Biotics. Silver Biotics uses silver sol technology to give the immune system a boost. When you take it, your body releases chemical markers that signal your immune system that there's a threat and the body kicks into high gear to defend itself. So the best part is, Silver technology works with the natural system in the body, making it safe and an effective way to target invaders without all the nasty side effects of traditional medicine. There's over 60 patents and patents pending, and SilverSol has sold over 30 million units, and there's no documented adverse reactions. The company is pretty darn proud of that. So think wound care, dietary supplements, cosmetics, they are biohacking the body with a mindfully enhanced supplement. So you can upgrade your oral hygiene with their toothpaste or their cosmetic line you can apply to the skin or the new nasal mist for everybody out there struggling with kids that just come back sick every single week from school. Jump over to their site, use code Beautifully broken in the checkout for a generous 30% discount on all the products. Team, let's get back into the show. The energy behind what you're talking about is profound. I want to just do a very quick sidebar. I don't want to get into diet. I was just at KetoCon and yeah. we were talking about the ketogenic diet and application for specific cancers and Many people are like looking at this carnivore diet and, you know, diet wars, really. It's like, I just saw research that kind of paired veganism right with a carnivore diet as far as like longevity. It was like, how can this be? And right. is there research in your lived experience to support that microbial diversity may play a greater role than what we're eating? Yeah. So that's one of the problems with restrictive diets is that it does, they all do harm the microbiome diversity, right? So there's studies on people who go on keto high fat diets. There may be some, you know, initial benefits, right? And to me, actually, a lot of the benefits come from eliminating sugar from your diet, right? Because you're basically taking out, you're replacing carbohydrates, you're replacing refined carbohydrates, sugar, and all that with fat, which is Great. You know, there's lots of good, healthy fat and they're very, it's very important for you. But I think a lot of the benefits you see in the first few months of going keto, first month or two, does come from eliminating sugar. But it's not sustainable because the studies also show that within eight weeks of doing full 
very high fat, you know, keto-like diet, the diversity of the microbiome starts to drop quite significantly, especially bifidobacteria, you know, fecalum bacteria, acromancia, all of these really important species that are considered to be keystone species. All of these organisms are inversely related to chronic disease, right? Meaning the higher levels of those you have, the lower risk you have of chronic disease. So we become obsessed with this idea that, oh my God, you know, he went keto, she went keto, they lost weight right? And they look better and they feel better. Great. But there's many ways of doing that, right? I remember in college at one point, I went on something called a cabbage soup diet, right? I lost weight, but it doesn't mean that the cabbage soup diet is good for you, right? So so people get very militant about their diet position. And I get it. You know, it's a camp, becomes a camp. It's my team versus your team thing. But the most well-studied diets in the world, we're talking about diets that have not only double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized type of studies, uh, the ones you can do with diet, right? But they have longitudinal studies, which is the really important one, right? They have prospective longitudinal studies where you follow people over decades and compare them to people of other diets are things like the Mediterranean diet, right? And the Mediterranean diet is a diverse diet right? You've got really good fats, you've got really lean proteins, you've got lots of uh, fiber and carbohydrates, lots of polyphenols, right? Olive oil and red wine and all of these good things. Those are the components of a healthy diet because in part, they also feed diversity in the gut microbiome. So I always tell people, you know, if you're you're determined to go keto or carnivore or vegan or whatever it is that your mind is set on for a period of time, don't do it for much more than two or three months because there'll be diminishing return down the road, right? We have to just go back to how we were built. We were built to be omnivores. We were built to eat lots of things. And our ancestors did not have the luxury of going, I'm just going to be keto for the next few months, right? Our system is designed to eat lots of things, be able to digest lots of things, be able to assimilate lots of diverse nutrients. Yeah. I'm always jealous of those people who can just walk into a restaurant and have like no digestive effect. They're just like, can eat anything. And they just have these incredible, my brother, he can like crush a pizza and hot dogs and beers and then like be fine. I was like, I I would be in the hospital. And it just goes to show, I remember, I remember actually, you know what? It's funny. I called my mom and I asked my mom for poop. I was yeah. like, mom, I'm reading in a fecal transplants. It's been like seven years. I can't go to the bathroom. I'm like always cramping. Yeah. Thank God I didn't have to do it because it would have been weird, but I was open to it. I was open to it. I asked my mom for poop. She's like, how am I going to get you that poop? I was like, I'm imagining it's in a freezer and a Tupperware container. You're going to ship it to me. I don't know, but I'm ready to make a milkshake out of it and do a fecal transplant. Oh, man. Well, I know. I know. Crazy, crazy. But you I I was desperate. I didn't care. I said this a lot. A lot of the decisions that I made about my health, which greater informed what I saw the ends of the spectrum to be, even the failed experiments have been very valuable. They've guided me back to like a very consistent truth, which always comes back to diversity and not living in a camp of absolutes, like staying open, staying curious. Yeah. I want to talk about before we jump to these extremes taking a look at what's going on inside. I have, that just came in the mail. I have a new FX biome from Microbiome Labs, which I'm going to be able to take a, I'm going to be able to take a look. And really, I can tell you in three months, I've had three months of just like such steady progress. It's been a lot of 
shifting around using some of the prebiotics, which I could never tolerate before. Now I can. That's made a big difference for me. Doing a little bit of fasting and then working on scar tissue for me in the belly, which is affected transit time. And that's, that's the big one. Like, you know, great example. Everybody's going to have a different past. Some people have scar tissue, which affects the flow, that movement, that parasympathetic wave down the intestines. So we got to, we got to plan for those people too. But if I'm going to open up this box and actually, Karen, I'll let you laugh. I like put into chat GPT. I was like, rewrite the lyrics for Dick in a Box from Saturday Night Live and do it to a stool diagnostic poop in a box. And it gave me this great lyric girl it's my shit in a box girl microbes in there a whole new world gonna send it to the lab there unfurl all the data about my microbe swirl <laughs> that is amazing wow all right you gotta record that while you're doing the test. i gotta get the track and i gotta find the way the beat but i'm imagining like one i put my poop in the box two i put a stamp on my box three i put the box in the mail something like that <laughs> Totally. I love that. I love that because, you know, poop can be fun, right? And sampling yeah. poop can be fun, especially with the outcomes that you get at the end of it. And it's chat GPTs. Yeah. Phenomenal. It's, it's uh, wild. It's a, it's a powerful so tool. So when I send this box away, when I send my poop yeah. away, which I, I would just say, if anybody, if this, if you're cringing, if it feels weird, I promise you, there's really good information here to mm-hmm. just learn about your body. You know, I was very depressed my first test that I got back because there was no, there was like one percentile, no diversity. I had been on three years of doxycycline for Lyme, oral, and it had just, it was, you know, it's kind of gone. So I built it back. It's taken time. But what is this? I feel like there's a, it's a new test. I feel like there's a quicker turnaround. You got some new data in this new diagnostic for home users. Yeah, you know, one of the important things about genetic analysis is that the technology improves by leaps and bounds every about three or four years, right? And like, if you look at what we were able to do from a sequencing perspective four years ago, that was like a flip phone uh, compared to what we can do now being an iPhone, right? So that's the difference in technology. And most people don't, shouldn't understand that or, or know that. But One of the things we've done now with this new version is we're able to go deeper in the sequencing. So normally, and this just gives people a reference to keep in mind, we've normally over the last few years gone to 3 million base pairs, right? That's the resolution in which that we were able to sequence. So think about it as like 3 million megapixels as a resolution that we can do. Now we can go to 6 million megapixels or 6 million base pairs. So the resolution is double. And which means that our picture is much more clear as to what that community looks like, right? So one of the most important things about stool sequencing and sequencing the microbiome is that you have to be able to map what the microbiome looks like from a population standpoint, right? It's not necessarily who's there, but it's who's there and what proportion and who else is there. Right. It's the it's a neighborhood type of mentality. Right. And if you're looking at variables within the microbiome, the context really matters. Mm. One of the uh, you know, like you might see other stool tests that really focus in on pathogens. And, And this can be very disruptive to people's health because they have these weird, unusual ways of measuring pathogens. And what you end up getting is a test that screens pathogens all over the place. Right. And then inevitably, what's going to happen is doctors are going to jump in and start using antibiotics, antimicrobials all the time. That's actually going to destroy the rest of the microbiome and actually make it easier for pathogens to grow. 
And we've seen so many of these people come to us after six months, eight months, 12 months of antimicrobial therapy going, my gut is now destroyed. It was bad back then. But now with all of this, because there was these pathogens on the test, my gut is now destroyed. And that's because it's missing context, right? So one analogy I give people is like, if you're a city planner and you're planning out, you know, a neighborhood or a city and somebody randomly came up to you and said, hey, are five police officers enough for your city? One of your first questions would be like, what's the population, right? That context makes a difference. If it's a million people, five police officers are absolutely not enough, right? If the city has a hundred people, by far that's good enough, right? So that context of what else is there in what proportion is really important. So we've worked really hard over the last five years to build that muscle of being able to map the microbiome effectively. So that's the first part. It's high resolution, highly accurate in terms of determining what species and subspecies are there, mapping out the entire context so you know in relation to all the different microbes what the levels are. And then the last thing is focusing in on functionality, right? It doesn't matter if we tell you this bacteria is there, that bacteria is there, that bacteria is there. It doesn't mean anything. The question is, what do they do? right? What is their tendency in your microbiome, right? Do you have a lot of bacteria that produce hydrogen sulfide that reduce sulfate groups into hydrogen sulfide? Do you have a lot of bacteria that convert protein to ammonia? Do you have more bacteria that make branch chain amino acids, right? All of these things affect your outcomes in, uh, in terms of what you eat and so on. So we hone in on functionality and functional groups of microbes so that you have actionable items, Right. So that when you get the test back, you look at it, it tells you some of your high level data as to where you stand in a healthy population in terms of your diversity, your resistance, your pathogen load, all of that stuff. But then it digs in into the functional characteristics of your microbiome. What does your microbiome tend to do? Right. And that gives you an idea of what choices you should make when it comes to food and supplements and all of that stuff. What does someone frame that journey look like? If I got a test back and I was looking at something, maybe there's some unfavorable levels or there's a an overgrowth, what does the timeline normally look like with an intervention? Let's say they're going to try to redistribute the beneficial microbes around the gut. Yeah. You know, the beauty of the, of the mi microbiome is you can modulate it pretty quickly, right? So a lot of our modulation studies that we've published are three to four weeks under control conditions, however, right? So I would say, given that, you know, in reality, we're not under control conditions, there's other variables that impact the outcome. I'd say three months is probably a very, you know, doable time frame to actually make measurable changes. You can increase your diversity in three months. You can increase production of short-chain fatty acids, which is another critical feature of a healthy microbiome. You can reduce opportunistic pathogen load, right? Without having to kill them, without having to go after them with antimicrobials, which will kill everything, right? You can uh, improve your sacrolytic fermentation versus proteolytic fermentation. So proteolytic fermentation means that your body is basically taking proteins and some carbohydrates and converting them into certain toxic compounds like P-cresol, for example, Versus sacrolytic fermentation is the ability to form things like butyrate, propionate, acetate. So when you see in the test that you're shifted towards proteolytic, there are certain things you should reduce in your diet and certain things you should increase to favor the sacrolytic bacteria, right? So it's an ecosystem, and that's the beauty of it, is that our health is largely dependent on an ecological system 
which is great because the ecological system can be changed, right? If our health was solely dependent on our genes, we'd be fucked, right? Because if you have genes for certain conditions, you're screwed. You can't change your genes, right? But we now know that the vast majority of chronic illnesses can be brought back to some dysfunction in the microbiome, which is providing an underlying risk. So if you modulate that part of the microbiome, you should be able to reduce the risk. Yeah, it's fascinating. I just got a screener. And by the time this comes out, the documentary will be out on Amazon Prime. It's called The Quiet Epidemic. And they're looking at, you know, they're looking at the prevalence of Lyme disease and, you know, the the elusive nature of the spirochete. Mm -hmm. And have you looked at different subsets of data around people with a chronic Lyme disease that are they're just the inability to get better or move forward or have a reduction in symptoms. Have you seen a correlation with the diversity of the microbiome in the gut? Yeah. In fact, there is some data that, that looks at that. And in part, but one of the hard things to know is the diversity of the gut, the reduced diversity of the gut in people that suffer from long-term Lyme, is that a consequence of the treatment for the Lyme or do they already have reduced diversity in the gut, right? So that's the part that that needs to be teased out. And I think future studies will look at people's microbiomes prior to starting the treatment for Lyme. Now, here's an area where it is very clear that the diversity of the, of the microbiome and certain aspects of the microbiome are very, very impactful in people's outcomes. And that's with COVID for example, long haulers, especially, right? In the US, it's estimated there's somewhere around 30 to 40 million Americans that are suffering from COVID long haul syndrome. We work really closely with Professor Liam Mahoney, who is uh, one of the top immunologists in the world, right? Uh, and he's at the APC at University College Cork. He's probably published 350, 400 papers. Uh, very, very highly published author. Uh, one of the top minds in the world of immunology. We work a lot with him. I was just meeting with him about three weeks ago in March at in Cork, and he was sharing with me uh, data on his new studies around long hauler syndrome and people that had hospitalization and, and death from COVID and what their microbiomes looked like before having those poor outcomes, right? And he's mapped it out on hundreds and hundreds of people. And the data is so eerily clear that if you have a certain type of microbiome, they can predict that you will likely come up with long hauler syndrome after you deal with the condition. Or they can predict your risk of death or hospitalization from the symptom. They can look at your microbiome the first day that you, you may test positive and you're asymptomatic, right? They can look at your microbiome and go, in three days, you'll be fine. Or they can look at your microbiome and go, likely in three or four days, you'll be in the hospital. Right. Wow. And, and, it doesn't, and you can't tell that from the person itself. It doesn't matter what their comorbidities are and so on. They can look at the microbiome and fingerprint it. And what he's shown very clearly is that people who have low alpha diversity, right, below a certain number and a high level of pathobionts, these are microbes that induce a lot of inflammatory response. These individuals are very at high risk for long hauler syndrome, hospitalization and death. And someone who could be 25 years older than an individual with that pathobiome, if they have a diverse microbiome, they will fare much better when it comes to this uh, condition, right? So, but this is true for almost every kind of stressor on the body, right? This is part of what I was talking about with resilience earlier, right? It doesn't matter what the stressor, it doesn't matter if it's uh, the new pandemic that's starting or it's poor food quality, it's poor air quality, it's toxins in your water, it's stress, 
It doesn't matter what the input is. If the input causes stress and inflammation on your body, if your microbiome is dysfunctional, your risk of having that input create significant problems is way higher, right? And we're not talking about double, triple. We're talking about tenfold higher, right? So if you look at uh, look at the data on, on COVID, for example, if you took two people who were 50 years old, right, and everything else was same about them except one was uh, pre-diabetic or diabetic, which means that they have a certain type of microbiome. Now, the reason they're diabetic is because of a certain fingerprint on the microbiome, right? And this has been clear. Diabetes, type 2 diabetes especially, is not just a disease of poor lifestyle choices, right? It's the poor lifestyle choices that actually diminish aspects of the microbiome, and that lays the foundation for why you develop diabetes, right? It's not just hyperinsulinemia, hyperinsulinemia over and over again, and then your pancreas just goes, I can't work anymore, right? There's actually an aspect of the microbiome that drives it. And this has been published by the American Diabetic Association. You know, These institutes are usually decades behind on, on frontier research, but they've figured this out, right? So you take that individual who has diabetes and then same age individual, everything else same about them, same body weight and all that, but no diabetes. The individual with diabetes is 10 times more likely to die from the condition than the same age person with no diabetes, right? And that is a factor of the microbiome. And that shows you right there how resilience through a healthy microbiome makes all the difference, right? Because we cannot stop negative inputs. We're going to have it in our lives, right? We can't live perfect lives. We can't live in a perfect location. You know, you were just talking about uh, before we came on, uh, before we started recording, the filtration of the air. And you just look at what's in the air, right? That is a negative input. There are people that breathe that and they're done, right? Their, their system shuts down. They go into full autoimmune response. They may go into cytokine storms and things like that, right? And then there are people that can sit there and breathe there and breathe that and be just fine. So that's the manipulation that I, uh, to me, that's the most important. I think it's very empowering to frame it that way because it's easy to look at the world as a field of landmines. Mm-hmm. When you start to experience life that way, whether it's diet or air quality or trauma, and it really all comes down to our way of, you said there's a way to build strength, resiliency, and through this diversity, but it's really in the interrelation. You know, and isn't that, it's sort of the magic in life. It's like, you could be the most spiritually wise sage by yourself with your journal (laughs) in meditation, but the second you have to interrelate or work with another human being and you just keep finding, why is this hard for me? You know, we have to do that in practice. So I'd love to pivot and just talk about some things we can incorporate into practice to help build the diversity in the microbiome that are lifestyle choices that maybe you see as your top two or three things? Yeah, so for me, and I think one of the most important things I do and have done over the last six, seven years is fasting, intermittent fasting, right? Intermittent fasting, I I do a 14 to 16 hour a day fast, six, seven days a week. It's so easy now, you know, it it was a little bit hard in the very beginning where I might've had to start with, 12 hours, right? And then after a week, push it to 13, then push it to 14. Now, I don't even think about it. In fact, I have to remind myself around like 2 p.m. to go, oh, well, I haven't eaten yet. I got to go eat, right? But a lot of high functioning things I do in the morning, you know, interviews and research work and all that stuff, I do that all fasted. In fact, I used to race. I was on a, I'm a competitive cyclist. And so, you know, I raced on a team. 
And I was the only guy on the team that did all my racing, all my training completely fasted, right? So I'd get out there at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning. I'm now 10 hours into a fast and we're riding competitively for the next five, six hours. Everyone else is popping gels and bars and all that stuff nonstop. I'm just drinking water with some uh, electrolytes, you know, and I'm perfectly fine. And so to me, that is one of the most important things because there are components of your microbiome right, that only flourish during a period of fasting. So if you think of your, of your microbiome as multiple layers, it's not designed as layers, but it's just to visualize, it's easier for people to understand. So the primary layer are microbes that are what we call primary digesters or fermenters, right? So they take the big macromolecules that come into your gut uh, through diet, which will take, you know, six, seven hours to get over there to your colon. It, they take those big components, the big fiber components, the remaining proteins, the fats, and they start metabolizing and breaking those down. Now, the byproducts of those go to the secondary fermenters who then start breaking down those byproducts. They produce side products as a result of that, and then they send that down to the tertiary uh, metabolizers. And then those metabolizers start working on those other byproducts. So you've got this like staged fermentation that occurs in the gut. The thing is, if you think about it, by the time that the third layer gets to start eating, and fermenting and growing and proliferating, it's a good 10, 12 hours after you last ate, right? So then if you're eating again, what happens is it stops that third layer from start doing what they do because it reactivates the first layer. They're just hanging out dormant. They're happy. They've already done their fermentation, but boom, here comes more food. They have to get active again and start proliferating and fermenting and so on, right? So in order for you to actually have increased diversity, a period of not eating, allows all of the microbes in your system to eat, right? If you eat too frequently, you stop the process of fermentation and digestion somewhere midway, right? So fasting becomes really critically important that way. It actually helps uh, the microbiome. The other thing that helps diversity in the microbiome, and that's counterintuitive. A lot of people think, whoa, don't eat and it helps the diversity? Yes, there needs to be a period during the day where you don't eat. Second thing is about increasing diversity of your diet, right? Adding in new foods on a somewhat regular basis. Some of the tips I give people is just go to like an ethnic grocery store. You know, you live in a wonderful place, Austin, that has all these amazing ethnic grocery stores, Middle Eastern stores, Asian markets, and so on. Grab one thing from that market, right? One root, one tuber, one vegetable, one form of protein, whatever it is that you don't normally eat add it into your diet that week, right? And try to maintain it. And then next week, add something else. By the end of the year, you've got 40, 50 new foods that you've added to your diet. And every one of these foods have different bonds, different structures that feed different organisms. The more diverse your diet is, the more diverse your gut microbiome will be. So that's two simple things you can do. The third one is about getting outside, right? Getting outdoors it has a huge impact on the diversity of your microbiome. And I don't mean just walking down the street. That helps to some small degree, but it's really about being in natural environments, you know, going in hikes, going to the beach, you know, places like that. And I recommend to people when you go on hikes to do two things, which really will enhance what happens to your microbiome when you're hiking, right? Number one, the hiking, the exercise part of it is great, just breathing the air, but touch things. Right? Like when I go with my kids on hikes, I make sure they're picking up rocks and they're grabbing sticks and I'm having them feel this leaf, right? See the texture of this. Look at this bark. Feel how that feels compared to this bark. 
And I want them to feel, be curious about those things. But mostly what I want them to do is touch nature, right? And then at some point in the hike, I'm going to toss them an apple or a sandwich or something. So they grab something and they eat. I don't have them clean or sterilize their hand before that, right? That is the most fundamental thing we do as a species to, that supports our microbiome is eating in nature, right? That's what we've done ever since the dawn of man. That's what all those hunter-gatherer tribes do every single day. They eat in nature. And when you eat in nature, you actually absorb and expose yourself to a lot more microbes from the environment, right? More so than just walking through. So that's a third thing that you can do. The fourth thing, which is one of the coolest and favorite things, is getting a dog. You know, hopefully you're dog, uh, dog people or you haven't thought about a dog, but dogs enhance the diversity of your home microbial diversity of your home, especially if you take the dogs out on walks and in natural environments, they're going to pick up all these microbes and they're going to bring it in to the household. And households with dogs have kids with fewer incidence rates of asthma, allergies, viral infections, and so on, right? So those are four simple things you can do. And the fifth one, I would say from a lifestyle perspective is managing stress, because stress is one of the most profound disruptors to the gut microbiome. Right. And the reason for that is every time you have a bout of stress, what happens is there are there are opportunistic microbes in your system that read the stress hormones that as the signal for them to proliferate their virulence factors. Right. So what they do is they sit there and they're called opportunistic because they're waiting for the right opportunity where the host's immune system is suppressed or compromised in some way. Then they go, hey, guys, this is our turn to proliferate. And they're designed by nature over course of evolution to look for things like epinephrine, norepinephrine, cortisol, and so on. So when these things elevate in your system, those organisms go, this is when we turn on our genes, and they fire up. So if you have multiple bouts of stress throughout the day, it's like taking a little antibiotic each time, right? You're going to create severe dysbiosis. In fact, uh, in 2015, there was a publication in the Frontiers of Immunology, which was a meta-analysis paper, which means that it looked at dozens of research papers on the topic. They concluded from this that stress-induced dysbiosis, which is a dismantling of the gut microbiome, an imbalance of the mi microbiome, which leads to leakiness in the gut, right? And then the translocation of toxins in that leaky gut was the number one cause of mortality and morbidity worldwide, right? Is the number one cause of death and disability worldwide. Stress that leads to dysbiosis, that dysbiosis causing leaky gut, leaky gut allowing toxins to leak through, in particular things like LPS, right? Just think about that mechanism and how that simple mechanism is the number one killer worldwide because it sets everyone up for chronic low-grade inflammation, which is the foundation of most disease conditions. So think about if you can manage the stress, if you can manage the diversity, if you can enhance the diversity, if you can enhance the keystone species, if you can balance your diet and increase the diversity, you're doing an amazing job already. Everything else you add on top of that is just icing on the cake, right? You wanna do cold plunges, you wanna do saunas, you wanna do all these things. Those are all fantastic, great for your cells, but you're taking care of the foundational part of it those things will actually have enhanced effects on your system. Yeah, I, I love that. And it's certainly confirming the, the managing stress, how stress moves into the tissue, how it affects everything that goes on in our lives. I often okay. say I have a sometimes have a better result from my, my gut microbiome, the quality of my bowel movements when I do a fast, but I take time away from my daily schedule. 
So it's not fasting over what could be considered already a stressor where I feel like I'm obligated to serve all these people, but I'm also trying to give my body a break. So, you know, lots of times uh, throughout history, a fast was a spiritual experience where people stepped away from the, you know, I say the nine to five, the nine to five is sort of a new thing, which is like, yeah, it's nine to five for seven days a week and really give the body a break. I just find that so profound. The other thing I want to just mention, and if you could comment just briefly on, I know you have to, um, we got to be mindful of your time, that we see greater improvement in immune response, fewer cases of asthma, viral infections when there is an animal in the home. Mm-hmm. That just blows my mind because you would think it's counterintuitive that the dog's walking around, picking up feces, walking all over the place. But I've heard you talk about how unsterile uh the modern day toilet is the idea that it can you speak to that a little bit that we kind of all share a microbial community if we're sharing the same bathroom anyways yeah yeah and even if you're if you have two separate bathrooms in the same household you still are because when you think about it and this really was highlighted by a study that came out from uh, i think it was done by johns hopkins university where they followed individuals that had that were taking a course of antibiotics, right? So they before the individuals started the course of antibiotics, they, they did a bunch of stool tests to map their microbiome. Then they followed the microbiome through the course of antibiotics and then up to six months after. Of course, with no surprise, you find that during the course of antibiotics and then up to six months after, you see all of this dysbiosis happening in the microbiome as a result of the antibiotic course. But what was fascinating about it is they also followed the microbiomes of household companions of those individuals who weren't taking the antibiotics. And they found that those individuals also saw similar perturbations in their guts, right? Mm. So we live in this microbiome cloud in our communities, in our household, absolutely, in our office settings, probably as well, right? But the reason is because we're shedding microbes like crazy all day long, right? Through our skin, through respiration, through farting, right? Farting is a bunch of microbes come out of your system. You're constantly shedding your microbes in the environment. The toilet, for example, is a beautiful place to aerosolize and and shed microbes. So if you imagine you've got one bathroom in the house, you've got a roommate or, or someone that lives there, it doesn't have to be a platonic partner, they defecate in that toilet, that's gonna solubilize a lot of bacteria on the surface of the water. The moment they flush and that thing swirls, you're going to get an aerosol of microbes into the air. That's going to get sucked into the air vent system and blown out into other rooms. One room where your toothbrush may be sitting there, right? Or a fruit sitting on the counter or something you set out on the counter, some food. That poop bacteria is going to settle in on that food or those things that are going to go into your mouth. So we are sharing microbes, whether we like it or not. So it becomes really important that the biome of the household is healthy because a negative biome in the household can absolutely influence the rest of the people, right? So it it becomes part of your job if you're the health person in the household and you're trying to improve your outcomes, you've got two, three other people in the house that don't care and they're just making poor decisions all the time and shedding bad microbes into their environment. It becomes important for you to wrangle that environment and make sure everyone is paying attention to diversity and a healthy microbiome. Yeah, it is a family affair. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to leave it at that. Karan, I'm going to let you go. I so appreciate your insight. It's so valuable. I'm fired up. I'm going to take this stool test and I'm going to do some work. I'll talk with your team and then we'll do, maybe we can do a follow-up in like four months. That'd be awesome. I would love to see what your stool test looks like now. That's so, that's so awesome.
Yeah, I, I will candidly and with a little bit of trepidation, I will offer that to the audience and we'll definitely do a we'll definitely do a, a Zoom and we can do some screen sharing so we can walk through some of the results. That'd be awesome. It's just great information. The things I, I would love people just to really feel into is, is we're so outnumbered by the microbes in the system. They carry so much more information than we want to give credit for. We think it's about the body, how we interrelate to the world, both energetically and through the food that we take in as paramount. And it's a family affair. When you have a household, and many times I hear this from people, they are the caretaker of another person. And it's all about that person with a chronic illness, and they're not doing anything. It really is time to lean into like not only the dietary and the stress management techniques, but when we're going to work on the microbiome, do that as a unit in the family. I think we'll have better outcomes. I certainly see that across different spectrums, not just what Kiran is talking about, but across other modalities of healing. Everybody should be doing these things and really we can make it fun that way. So I want to close this down. Kieran, uh, the Beautifully Broken Podcast, you're a three-time guest. I love it. You get 15, 20 seconds to say something to the people of planet Earth. You get to impart everybody with just one piece of wisdom. What would you say to everybody today? I would say that uh, know that there is a tremendous amount of hope for the things that you're suffering from, right? I understand if, you, if you've had a condition, if you have a condition, if you're working through it, it can seem hopeless because a lot of times you're gonna go to uh, medical outlets and resources that are gonna say, there's nothing we can do about that, right? Maybe we can manage this symptom or that symptom. There's no cure for that, right? People hear that all the time with the things they're suffering from and that can create a sense of hopelessness. And, and the definition of depression is loss of hope. Right. So I want people to know that you can fix almost any issue that's going on in your body that's a chronic issue. If you look at the ecosystem, if you look at the microbiome, it can absolutely help. So there's lots of hope. Keep listening to programs like this. Keep empowering yourself with knowledge. Uh, you absolutely have control over your outcomes. Ladies and gentlemen, Karen Krishnan, thank you for being here and thank you for being a guest on the Beautifully Broken podcast. Big love, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are moving on a four-year relationship. That's got to be some kind of a record. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, head over to Apple or Spotify and please give us a review. I know how busy you are. I know you got a list of things to do that's a mile long, but it makes more people across the world hear this mission. And one more ask before you go, there's a way that you and I can continue learning there's a way that you and I can continue to deepen the relationship that started in this episode. You could visit beautifullybroken.world and you can check out our brand new website and store. Listed are all the wellness tools, the supplements, the articles backed by scientific protocols to move forward in a wellness, the products that I am using and I personally love. Most of them offer a significant discount by clicking the link or using the code. And the beautiful part, they don't cost you anything extra. And at the same time, they do support the show. Now, we have another new feature alert. I don't want to overwhelm you. But if you want to see the beautiful faces of our guests, if you want to watch me unbox and review products, head over to our brand new YouTube channel, Beautifully Broken World. This last message is from my vast team of internet lawyers. The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only. By listening, you agree 
not to use the information found here as medical advice to treat any medical condition in yourself or others. Always consult your own physician for any medical issues that you might be having. Our closing, the world is shifting. We need you at your very best. So take the steps today to always be upgrading. Remember, while life is pain, putting the fractured pieces back together is a beautiful process. I love you. I'm your host, Freddie Kimmel.